Welcome to Mike's Notes, episode 45. Today, a few thoughts about Harry's razor. A recent Twist podcast, that's This Week in Startups, between Jason Calacanis and Andy Katz Mayfield, had a wonderful hour about company creation. Katz Mayfield talked about what it was like starting Harry's Razor Company, and Calacanis asked some really thoughtful questions. As I was listening to the podcast and taking notes, there were a few areas that seemed really consistent with other things that I've learned, and that Katz Mayfield did that were successful and also repeatable. The first was scratching your own itch. Katz Mayfield said, the company was born out of an experience I had just going to a drugstore and having a nervous breakdown in the aisle because blades were so expensive. A good place for startups to start is always by scratching your own itch. Almost a decade ago, Paul Graham wrote, Many of the applications we get are imitations of some existing company. That's one source of ideas, but not the best. If you look at the origins of successful startups, few were started in imitation of some other startup. Where did they get their ideas? Usually from some specific unsolved problem the founders identified. Find something that people complain about and solve that problem. And often the person you know best is yourself. This can't be the only thing that you do. In my book, 28 Lessons from Startups That Failed, too many founders stopped at this idea of scratching their own itch. They never got to the point where someone said, shut up and take my money. Scratching your own itch is a good place to start, but it's only the start. The second thing in the podcast was the importance of focusing on you. Harry's Razor launched about the same time as Dollar Shave Club, although Dollar Shave Club had this great viral video where the founder is walking around and he's talking about how much money um, razor companies pay their sponsors and he swings a tennis racket like he can play tennis just like Roger Federer. And that's a reference to Federer's Gillette sponsorship. What I liked most about Harry's Razor, though, is that they didn't imitate this. Their YouTube channel is different from Dollar Shave Club, and it should be. One of the worst mistakes a startup can make is getting caught in a race with another startup. That is, they shift to uh, the finish line that someone else has. Josh Williams wrote a great piece on Medium called Play By Your Own Rules, and he talks about the check-in wars between his company Gowalla and Foursquare. Williams is very reflective, and his reflection is instructive because it points out the mistakes you make when you move away from your own competitive advantage, which is yourself. The third thing that interested me from the Katz Mayfield podcast with Jason Calacanis was how similar disruption theory fit the Razor experience, or at least Harry Razor's experience. Clayton Christensen writes this about disruption, specifically as incumbents focus on improving their products and services for their most demanding and usually most profitable customers, they exceed the needs of some segments and ignore the needs of others. So that's what Christensen writes about disruption, and this is what Katz Mayfield said. The razors out there today almost feel like children's toys. There's like bells and whistles and all sorts of colors. We took the opposite approach. Let's make the product speak for itself. A streamlined and simple design. We wanted the brand to feel elevated but approachable. In the terms of disruption theory, customers hire a product to complete a job. 
What job are men hiring their razor for? A clean shave, but also a razor that's procured quickly and cheaply. According to disruption theory, the job to hire for has three parts when it comes to your razor, the actual shave, the price, and the procurement. When one part is more than satisfied, like a clean shave, when a clean shave is good enough, customers move on to another part that's important to them, like price or how they get it. When Harry's bought a German blade factory, they satisfied the first need of some segment. The other razor blade companies did this too, but they did it well before they changed the colors or added the batteries. The shave was already good enough. More suitable functionality is the other parts, the parts of disruption theory, the things that people want after the first thing has been satisfied. People want a good shave, but they don't want to have to go to a drugstore and have the razor cage unlocked or have to run out of razors. They want it to be quickly and cheaply delivered to them. This is what Clayton Christensen writes about Netflix and Blockbuster. However, as new technologies allowed Netflix to shift to streaming video over the internet, the company did eventually become appealing to Blockbuster's core customers, offering a wider selection of content, with an all-you-can-watch-on-demand, low-price, high-quality, high-convenience approach. Overlay that idea onto Harry's razors. The new technology of the internet allowed Harry's to create disruption in much the same way that Netflix disrupted Blockbuster. Number four, don't fish in an empty pond. When Katz Mayfield says that Harry's got their first lawsuit, it's like 90% scary and 10% affirmative. It's like, well, at least we had enough of an impact to catch someone's attention. To get different returns, you have to be different. To survive, you have to be right. Getting sued is one way that validates that. The challenge is to fish where the fish are going to be. If Harry's had tried to enter the stores, they would have been squeezed out, almost literally. Each episode of Shark Tank on ABC or The Profit on CNBC that has a consumer goods company speaks to this idea of shelf space. That space is great, but getting a foothold is next to impossible. There are a lot of fishermen there, there are a lot of fish there, and so it's hard to get in. Instead, try to find where the fish are going to be. Successful investors like Howard Marks, Bill Miller, and Warren Buffett all have theories about fishing on uncrowded shores where the fish may be. Howard Marks wrote, I think it's essential to remember that just about everything is cyclical. This seems to be the angle that Katz Mayfield and company are taking too. He said, we looked at 100 years of shaving history and facial hair trends are cyclical. If you look back in the 60s and 70s, it's like it is today. Everybody had beards. Bill Miller says, You have to do different things. He was successful in the 1990s, thanks in part to being a value investor that would invest in technology stocks. Warren's Buffett adage is to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. The key is to be different and to be right. Amazon.com was different and right. One executive said that when Bill Gates was pitched on the idea, he was flabbergasted. Founder of Sam Adams, Jim Cook, darker beer uh, succeeded because Sam Adams wasn't like the water-like American beers that were popular at the time. Number five, you have to build a moat. This is what Katz Mayfield says. As long as we continue to differentiate on product and brand, we believe there's a space for that. 
On Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary asks pitching entrepreneurs what's keeping him from entering their industry if he had a lot of money. He's asking what differentiates them. Often, the presenter says that they're the differentiator, and that's the wrong answer. Charlie Munger explains that there are five kinds of differentiation. Munger calls them modes. Supply-side economies of scale. You can make a lot of things cheaply. You push down your cost of goods sold per unit. Demand-side economies of scale. These are network effects like Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel or Facebook or iChat. The more people that use it, the better the service is. Brand is a moat. Regulation is a moat, and intellectual property is a moat. Katz Mayfield is already thinking about digging his moat. He said, you have to find a niche and differentiate on some dimension. You can't hope to out-Amazon Amazon. So he's focused on building the Harry's moat. And for Harry's, it's going to have to be brand. That's the best differentiation that they can create. Number six, should Harry's merge with another direct-to-consumer brand? Jason Calacanis suggests that they should merge with a company like Tommy John's or something so that they could insert their products into other direct-to-consumer packaging. That seems like a good idea because it would allow the companies to be greater than the sum of their parts. Good mergers work when there is a talent acquisition, or when it leads to long-term planning, or if revenue or cost savings ideally both rise, or if you can bundle something and remove hurdles for people to use your service. It seems like Harry's could be successful with a merger or a partnership. I'm reminded of the advice that Seymour Solich gives about whether or not you should do something. And Solich says to weigh the pros and the cons and only go ahead if the category of change is twice as big as the thing you're doing.